Today on the Women Mind the Water podcast, I'm speaking with Elle Wibisono. Elle is an artist and fisheries researcher. She is interested in exploring the intersection of research and policy. She also explores effective ways to communicate science using comic art. To that end, Elle has created Fish Story, a comic that speaks to fishery science and conservation. The Women Mind the Water Artivist series engages artists in conversation about their work and explores their connection with the ocean. Through their stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. I am pleased to welcome Elle Wibisono to the Women Mind the Water Artivist series podcast. Elle was born and raised in Indonesia. She admits she is a fishery nerd. She earned her doctoral degree at the University of Rhode Island, studying deep water snappers in Indonesia. She is currently a Canals Marine Policy Fellow working in the U.S. Senate. Elle is also an artist who creates a comic called Fish Story. As if she weren't busy enough, she is currently working on a children's book based on her dissertation. Welcome, Elle. Thank you for joining me on the Women Mind the Water podcast. Let's begin by having you tell a little, tell us a little about Indonesia. I admit I know very little about the country, and I feel certain that many of my listeners would like to know more. What was your childhood like, and how did you get interested in fish? Hi, Pam. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here. Really happy to be able to talk to you and um, share a little bit about myself and my experiences to you and your listeners. So Indonesia, it, geographically, um, it's located between Australia and Singapore and Malaysia. Um, Indonesia is also the world's largest archipelago. So there are, give or take, about 17,500 islands, you know, just 17,000. 17,500? <laughs> yes. That's a lot. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Not all of them are, um, have, like, not all of them have people living on it. But yes, it is a lot of island and a very long coastline because of that. Um, I guess my childhood, I grew up in Jakarta. It's the capital city of Indonesia. And it is one of the most densely populated city thing, like thing Manhattan. Like it's very metropolitan. It's all buildings everywhere. Um, we don't really have access to the beach from Jakarta because the bay um, right by Jakarta is highly polluted. I mean, it's all just ports and large ships and um, harbors and stuff like that. Um, however, when I was quite young, um, my parents decided to take me to Bali and we went on a snorkeling trip. Um, so I, I like to think about this trip as the random incident number one on how I got <laughs> to like fish because my parents, um, they, they did some snorkeling trips in some remote area in Indonesia as part of their honeymoon. And they decided, okay, we need to take the kids and let them enjoy snorkeling too. And as a kid, I didn't really care much about snorkeling, but I thought um, as a city girl, telling my friends that I went snorkeling would make me seem really cool and adventurous and really badass. So I was like, yeah, let, let's go snorkeling. That sounds like a good idea. Um, and I have to admit um, that experience was just a little bit underwhelming. I expected the scene to be something like, I don't know, National Geographic, where it's just colors everywhere, fish everywhere. I see like 10 sharks or something, but it was just a very, very low key snorkeling experience. And then fast forward several years later, when I was about, I don't know, 12, maybe, or 11, I really got into this um, 
novel series called Alex Ryder series. It's about a teenage British spy, nothing to do with fish, but one of the things that he was very good at was scuba diving. So being the very big fan of that book that I was, I was like, okay, I'm halfway there. I know how to snorkel. I enjoyed it. I was very comfortable in the water. I'm going to get my scuba diving certification. And so I did. And on the first dive, I went down under the water and there, there wasn't even that, that many things going on, but I saw a fish swim right in front of me. And at that moment, I, I knew that that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. It's, it's just something that really clicked and I, and I know it's correct. Um, I don't know any other way to describe it, except for just that feeling when you know something's really right, like this is it. Um, and so I resurfaced from that dive. I was 12 years old and I told everybody, I'm going to be a marine biologist. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So that's what I would like to think as random incident number two. And that basically set me off on this path to um, become a fishery scientist it's just from seemingly unrelated things that I did when I was young. Okay, so how did you become interested in what you call deep water fisheries? And maybe you should begin by explaining what you mean by deep water fisheries. Yes, um, and I'm really glad that you asked that question because even in scientific literature, there is different definitions of what deep water fisheries is. And the one that I specialize in is snappers and groupers that live between 50 to 500 meters. Um, so it's a very specific range of the depth. And I got into the deep water fisheries um, through my first job at the Nature Conservancy in Indonesia. So one of the projects that they do is trying to see how sustainable the deep water fisheries is in Indonesia. And it's that particular snapper grouper fishery. And at that time, I knew that I really wanted to do something in marine conservation, but I was still a little bit soul searching, I guess. I wasn't sure like how I can make a difference um, in marine conservation. And when I learned about the program and I learned about the deep water fishery, um, as it turns out, Indonesia is the second largest snapper exporter in the world. U.S. is actually one of the largest importers of those snappers from Indonesia. And it just made sense to me to work in a field where you can almost directly touch people's decisions. Like um, most people, when they interact with the ocean, they interact um, through eating seafood. Um, not everybody has the chance to like go to the beach or to go scuba diving or to go snorkeling. But the that touch point between almost everybody and the water is through fish. And so um, being in the field where Indonesia is like a big player by being like one of the largest um, snapper exporter in the world, I thought I could make a meaningful difference that way um, in marine conservation. So, so when you talk about snappers, I don't think, I can't really think of the fish so much, but when you say grouper, aren't those really big fish? Yeah, like some of the groupers are bigger than me, basically, and they're and they're also older than me when you when when they get to that size. <laughs> Sometimes I, re I see a really big fish, and I'm like, "Wow, you're 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 grandpa fish," you know. Some of them live really really old, like two sixty years old or even more. So, what brought you to the U.S.? Graduate school brought me to the U.S. Um, I got accepted to do my PhD at the University of Rhode Island. I packed my bags, left Bali, and ended up in Rhode Island. Now, you're a, a Knoss Marine Policy Fellow. So what do you do as a fellow? So as a fellow, uh, I am placed uh, on the legislative branch of the government. So I work for the U.S. Senate, and 
I'm, I'm a part of the committee uh, within the U.S. Senate, and basically we deal with any bills or any policy that relates to fish or climate change or the ocean. So I write, I write like reports and memos and read bills that's related to all of those topics. And it's been really, really fascinating. I had to do a very big pivot from learning about tropical fisheries to learning about all the other fisheries that are here uh, and are really important um, in the United States. Since you're an artist, I'd, I'd like to know how often are visuals actually used to assist in the policy decision-making aspect of the Senate? Um, at least in the fishery world, um, surprisingly frequent. I mean, I think figures, diagrams, like um, images just convey some concepts a lot better than trying to describe it through words. So yeah, visuals I think are really important. Um, clean, concise, and clear visuals, I think like it's really good. Like when I see a really well-made figure or graph, I get very excited. I'm like, yes, that's great communication. So how long have you been creating comics? For almost a year now, I started Fish Story um, this year in January, 2021. But I have been casually, I guess, on my own time drawing comics and learning how to make comics since, um, I don't know, for the past like 10, 15 years, basically. Um, I even took um, comic lessons when I was in middle school. I, at some point, I thought I was going to be a comic book artist along along that circuitous path. Was the inspiration for a fish story? Um, the, it, I guess it's more of a void than an inspiration. Um, as a scientist, we write all of this peer review articles, we write reports, and we, and for the most part, at least in the fishery world, everybody's just trying to make a difference. Like, how do we? turn the science and make it meaningful to fishery management or make it meaningful to policymakers one way or another. And I think science communication has gained traction in the last several years. Like scientists are really active on Twitter, on social media and trying to make science more cool. But um, by and large, I feel like scientists, we are still talking to other scientists. Like we see other um, researchers work and we're like, oh yeah, that's cool. Go you, you're so cool. But we're really not expanding that that circle. Um, your general public who don't care about science, who don't care about fish, for the most part is still not caring about it. Um, and especially in this like very digital age, we are all competing for other people's time and other people's attention. Um, we're I guess us, like the nerdy crowd, we're competing for like um, people to look at our um, research or our topic or our information when there are thousands, millions of like cute puppy photos on the internet. Like, how do you compete with that? So to fill in that gap, I guess to fill in that void, I created Fish Story. I, I'm hopeful that um, that I can make it work better and I can make it be even more um, wide reaching in terms of audience, but yeah, um, it's a work in progress. Why don't you describe for the audience one of the images that you created? It is a scene of different, um, like different shades of red colored snappers in different shapes and patterns, just traveling like left and right all across the page like some of them are carrying coffee cups or bags and it's just a very busy scene and basically what I wanted to convey is the diversity within that 
red colored snappers. Um, one of the problem in the snapper fishery is that everything that's colored red is just called red snapper when they're all very unique. They're all very different and they all have different ways to, to be managed. Um, well, I'm glad you told me that they were doing coffee cups and bags because I wondered <laughs> what was on some of their fins there. And I see there's a little sign that says mid-ocean depot. Oh, uh, the crustacean depot. Yeah. So a oh, lot of crustacean. Them, okay. Yeah. A lot of them eat crustacean. So I thought it would be cute to set up like a little stall where they can get their crustacean, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to convey like a really busy marketplace scene. Where, it, it, yeah. it looks like kind of like Grand Central Station, except with the uh, fish swimming here and there. Yes, that's that's a good way to put it. That's a great description. I love that. Tell me about 21st Century Cartini, which is how you and I first met. What is it and how did you get involved? Yeah, so 21st Century Cartini is a mentorship program that was set by Dinda and Finta in Indonesia. And it basically matches up some mentors with some um, female mentees who are in the ocean and marine science space. Um, they are mainly fresh graduates, um, and I was part of the mentor uh, in that program, and we actually got connected through my fish story platform. Um, Dinda, I guess, must have seen some of the fish comics, and then she reached out to me if I wanted to be um, part of their mentorship program, and I think it's... Um, I think it's really, really great because one of the biggest struggles that I had growing up in Indonesia and wanting to be in this field was the lack of mentorship. So when I heard of that idea that was pitched to me, I was like, yes, I am so in. Like, whatever you need, like, whatever the time commitment is, like, I will be a mentor. I'll, like, I'll, I'll do everything. Like, this is such a great need. What is your role with uh, 21st Century Cartini? Sometimes we're just talking about things like being female and doing field work. Um, doing data collection in the field in rural Indonesia can be especially challenging for younger females. And um, there has not been a space where people can freely talk about it. Like, for instance, just things like you are in the middle of nowhere and there's no running water and you're on your period. Like, what do you do? You know, like just, just talking about very, very real problems like that, that has never been the um, given the time or attention by, um, frankly, other people. Uh, do you think that the average Indonesian knows more about fisheries than Americans? That is a very interesting question. And I thought long and hard about this particular question because um, my guess is maybe no. And, and here's the reason why, because um, Indonesia's population is very densely um, I guess, uh, centered in the metropolitan areas, like cities like Jakarta or Surabaya, almost everybody lives in Java Island. And while people who live in fishing villages and the coastal communities probably know more about the ocean and more about fish than your average American, I mean, heck, they probably know more about fish than I do, since that's their, their life and blood, right. they, they live there. Yeah, like they, they're, they're the masters of it. But really, like compared to the overall total population of Indonesia, there's not that much of them. Most people are city people like me when I was growing up who know nothing about the ocean. And I think that's one of the things that is quite troubling to me. And it's quite sad because our history, like our cultural legacy is seafarers. Yet we are so disconnected with that.
If you were to create one comic that spoke to the most critical issue facing the ocean, let's say in Indonesia, what would the comic look like? It's hard to pinpoint just one largest issue because everything is so interconnected. But thinking about where I grew up, like Indonesia, the issue of just marine pollution and marine debris, everything that's going into the ocean from the big cities, it's um, it's it's a very large problem. And yes, it is um, going to be a pretty depressing comic. All the pictures will be quite sad, but at the same time, um, hopefully given the trajectory of how things are going right now, it could end on a somewhat optimistic note that change is coming. Before we close, I'd like to ask if you'd offer some key things that people can do to make a positive difference for the ocean. Um, as a fishery scientist, I'm going to go from the fish and seafood angle. Um, All right. no, so know what you're eating, um, like know where it's coming from, what kind of fish you're eating, and just do a quick Google search. Like, is this particular fish that I'm about to buy or eat, is it sustainable? And is it sustainably sourced? Well, Elle, I am sincerely grateful to you for making the time to be on the Women Mind the Water podcast. It has been great to talk with you. It was someone who has great insight into the ocean. So appreciative of being here. I'd like to remind listeners that I've been speaking with Elle Wibusona for the Women Mind the Water podcast series. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com. An audio version of this podcast is available on the Women Mind the Water website, on iTunes, and also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the song Women of Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson.